keep things in perspective the <coughs> it is uh, not not a lot to do in terms of activities so we can get very highly focused on the small things that are occurring um, which is the way it should be but in order to see particular um, the things that occur, but also to see especially the way we relate what our, what our systems do around the minutiae of events. Just recognizing how much, how intensely one can feel joy, grief, rage, despair, happiness, inspiration and desperation and perspiration all within an hour or so over <laughs> not doing really much more than sitting around. <laughs> Just, uh, things are on the move. You know, we really notice the impermanence of mind states of experience just wavering and fluctuating and then the mind responding to that and fluctuating wavering itself and the uh, um, both in what it experiences and the way it experiences and it way it, the way it relates to the way it experiences and so on, you get a tremendous amount of stuff happening and it's so in that it's easy, it's easy to uh, miss the wood for the trees as it were and uh, you know something they're desperately trying to find something steady and stable to hold on to they get object dependent they find some particular thing to rivet, or to rivet ourselves to, get, then we get some stability. So one can try to do that with the meditation object, rivet oneself to the breath. But it doesn't, it's not particularly conducive. Because the breath itself is a moving, flowing thing. And as you focus on it, then your mind, in that focusing, begins to soften and change. So the whole pro is a process we undertake. So you, you can't really find an object that will actually stay steady. Because the closer you get to receiving and, and experiencing objects of sensation, then the more they manifest their wave-like nature, their mirage-like nature, their ephemeral nature, their flowing, shifting, changing. We get stimulation-dependent, which means that 
we look for a particular feeling tone to be lifted, you know, buoyant, yeah. a certain sort of emotional, emotive tone, you know, gently ever rising, <laughs> not lurching up and down, not bumping along the bottom, not in the pits, no pain, but a gen- gently escalating, steady pleasure. So, one forward, you know, but of course, so that you, know, you get like that, and then so things are referred to in that way is this pleasant or not? And so, the more that you, you you're stimulation dependent, then you begin to see if you, if you really, you know, get out of the frustration of it, you can really understand that. that th- this uh, feeling thing is is also um, it's mirage like. As any pleasure depends upon pain. So if we've been outside in the snow five or six hours. Just to walk in here would be so beautiful, so delightful, you know, warm, dry, no wind, oh, relief, you know. <coughs> but to sit in here for six hours, <laughs> you know, why isn't it just even more and more delightful? Because you know? there's no, no pain to contrast it with, so that in that situation in here, then we begin to feel we're not getting very far in the meditation. I don't really think I'm getting much out of this. Pain. Mental pain. Or a little twinge in your leg. Pain. Nagging pain. Bothering me. So, okay, you know, then we... So that our experience of pleasure really you know, is relative to a certain degree of discomfort that's been that's been alleviated. And if that once that discomfort's alleviated, the pleasantness of that alleviation begins to fade and one looks for more something more pleasant. So the unpleasant becomes neutral. The the unpleasant becomes new the ple- unpleasant becomes pleasant, the pleasant becomes neutral, and the neutral then becomes unpleasant. So it's just a continual oscillation. So stimulation dependency is just um, is buying into trouble. Well, then we get it as a. We get process dependent, which means we expect things to be done in a certain way. And here, actually, it's incredibly ordered, you know. And yet, you know, still, you know, one's always trying to find, you know, still there's things, you know, I don't really know what I'm doing. What do I do between, between say, you know, the meal and, and then the beginning of the sitting? Sort of uncertainty and 
about what the, you know a moment of the day that isn't actually got a label on it, mm-hmm. and so one kind of tries to put things into it. Space becomes doubtful and uncertain. You get very dependent upon meditation systems. There's some, something that holds your hand every step of the way, every moment. Like a, a sort of having a nanny. So, <laughs> you know, something that's always there to, to carry you along. And you, and you recognize that that doesn't, it can't actually be done because it's still. It's your mind. Actually, is not a, not a is not a system. It's um, something that's that's it's not it hasn't got a it's not a linear system. It's a chaotic system. It's a it's a non-linear thing. There's random stuff happening. It's thoughts and moves. The mind contracts, expands. It remembers. It thinks. It feels. It's 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 continually doing that. So you're trying to make it into a system. It won't do that. You can, you know, you can try and jam it down and straight, straight lace it and, and put it in a straight jacket. And then, you know, so then what happens, say, when, when it pops out? Remember somebody's doing very, one of a very intensive retreat and it's every moment of the day was structured, you know. Exactly this way to do this, and this way to time to have the tea, and this would be this tea with this amount of sugar in it. It was all kind of worked out would be the perfect way to do it. But um, once you go to sleep at night, her mind would just bring up these dreadful nightmares. You know, the point, you know, you can't systematize sleep, can you? I will dream of this, I will dream of that, and I'll have these many dreams. <laughs> so suddenly, you know. The, uh, the straitjacket and all this stuff that, that you know that you've pinched your mind in this narrow thing and then you let it out and it's it's kind of fear and terror and violence and horror coming up into the mind because it's just been compressed. So the. The thing is to not be dependent is is really what the our the aspiration that uh, will bring the bear, the greatest fruit. So, using systems, using uh, structures, using objects, using feeling, using ideas, using viewpoints, but not not feet not clinging to them, but using them to to re- to reflect to see what's happening here, and how does using this one help me to let go of that. How does the pleasant feeling of samadhi help me to let go of the pleasant feeling of sense desire? Because <coughs> you know, if we get into pleasure, then the Buddha said, if you want pleasure, then this is the best you can get. You don't get better than this. Uh, Venerable Punadama was just reminding me this evening about the, the story of the of um, when the Buddha was asked by the, the wanderers of other sects, these ascetics about uh, uh, you know pleasant pleasure and, and and he was saying how you know he 
he was one who slept well and he, he enjoyed it. He, his, he, he very much dwelt in a, real, in a pleasant abiding. And so these ascetics said, well, you know, if, that's, if pleasure's so great, well, the, you know, the king of, king of Rajgir would be, he'd be a very attained person because he has all kinds of, you know, singing and dancing and music and minstrels and all day long. He's totally addicted to the stuff. He must be a very advanced being. And uh, the Buddha said, no, no, because I can just sit under a tree for nine days solid without moving and abiding in total bliss. <laughs> Trump that. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you realize, you know, that then you're describing the condition of the king of Rajagir, you know, there's the ministers, he's always in fear of his life. Um, you know, people are going to attack the kingdom, fear that somebody might be plotting against him, so if somebody tastes his food in case he's been poisoned. You know, so what is this pleasure? Notice the kind of, when one's addicted to the, the sense pleasures, are just really quite um, rough. They have to be chased and and, and manipulated, and you know, whereas the pleasure of samadhi is arrived at through through just relaxing, calming down, being present, and with something that's your breath, just calming and relaxing into the breath. So this is if you're when into a pleasant feeling, this is this is the best place. Also, because the the fee, the experience of calm is a much longer rhythm. Than, than powerful stimulation which bursts but then pops and fades. You know, something kind of orgasmic, you get a kind of rush and then it's gone. But with samadhi, it's, it, it's sort of, it's a much steadier. And this steadying effect can, can um, produce these very sustained, unbroken states of pleasant feeling that last for hours or in the Buddha's case for days. Um, and the Buddha said, if you want to cling to something, if you're into clinging to pleasure, this is the best kind of clinging you can get. But in that very time that he said that, and, and uh, he said, but actually, deathlessness is the release from all clinging. If you want to cling, cling to this, but if you're into in liberation, just don't cling, you know. So the way out of suffering or to is the liberation is what this uh, practice path takes us through. Um, the Buddha taught suffering and the end of it. Because sometimes a word like liberation or freedom, we don't really know fully what that entails. So when the, the Buddha, after his enlightenment himself, was wondering, you know, who'd be interested in what his teaching was about, and he wandered off to Benares to see his old colleagues. He thought they might be interested, and he met, the first person he met was this ascetic on the road to Benares. And he, and he said, so he thought he'd tell him the news. So he said to this ascetic, you know, 
I am the enlightened one. I've, I'm omniscient. I'm liberated from all, all, all the taints. You know, I am a completely free, realized being. And the ascetic looked at him and said, "Well, good for you." And wandered off. <laughs> so, what's it to me? You know. So the Buddha changed his tack after that, <laughs> and uh, so his first teaching was, "Do you suffer? Do you experience discontent, suffering? What's that about?" Wouldn't you like to not have that? Yeah. And we call this freedom, freedom from suffering. You know, because then suffering is the is the, the thing that catches you. That's that's where you get interested. That's that's you know, real real life stuff. That's what's happening. So you know, that's that's the point of entry, if you like. Recognizing I'm not satisfied, I want to be satisfied. And the Buddha is saying, just work on that, on that premise. And your freedom is what, what we call the, the stopping of all dissatisfaction, all discontent, all incompleteness. This is the way of doing it like that. And it's really, that's a very uh, precise teaching because it's always exactly where the suffering is, where the stress is. It's just at that point, and really understanding what that point is, you know, where the hook really is. <coughs> that you, when you see where the hook is, you can pull it out. So you get something that's very immediate, an immediate release. <coughs> this is why the Buddha called it, this teaching is something that's immediate, not delayed in time, um, leading you inwards, leading to you investigate um, something you have to see for yourself, in yourself. Something that's, so it's, it's really all these, these ways the Dharma is described, all highlighting, underlying a particular point. This is not somewhere else. This is exactly what you're feeling now. <laughs> you know, the, exactly this, what you're feeling now, is your, is your place of liberation. Only this. And everything else that we do is there to make it more possible to be where we are now, to not be spinning out, to not be fantasizing, to not be drifting out, to not be projecting, yeah? to not be blaming something out there, but to be seeing, ah, this is my, this is irritation, this is frustration, hmm, what's that about? That's about expectation. What's expectation about? You know, actually beginning to to look more clearly, wanting something that isn't here. We project, we fantasize, we do this particularly. Um, we do this in the sensory realm. Right now, we can imagine Florida. We can imagine, you know, as you probably have done. You know, in, in once he once he gets here, the mind just runs off every, every different direction into how glorious it could be here or there or with him or her or how glorious it was or it could be you know, on the sensory plane then, then you get what are the spiritual fantasies 
which is uh, which are more more seductive and more um, they don't have they they're, they're, more, they're more they creep in in this particular realm spiritual fantasies that you know bliss samadhi awakeness uh, freedom these kinds of things which are all the ideas are true but right but actually the process of fantasizing about them just keeps pushing them away. To the future, there's somewhere else, or somebody else. So we can imagine, you know, we start to fantasize about enlightened beings, get into this kind of thing. Is this teacher an enlightened being? Probably not as enlightened as that other being is. You know, or really, you know, this kind of thing. You, this is my teacher, the enlightened one, kind of thing. Because if you can't be enlightened yourself, it seems at least nice to be part of a team, isn't it? <laughs> so one can get really irritated with unenlightened beings. <coughs> so we can imagine everybody's unenlightened. Mika is not enlightened. He's nodding in the morning sitting. He's obviously not enlightened. <laughs> She's not enlightened. You know, she twitches. <laughs> a very, he, the way he eats his food isn't very enlightened, this kind of thing. So you get like, your mind can do doing this kind of stuff. And then you think, oh, to be really stupid, unenlightened people. I just want to be with really pure, enlightened, wise, saintly beings. Like me. <laughs> well, I really, what really, what I really, my real self. But I recognise that even if, even if I was with, it really, if everybody else here was enlightened, totally pure and saintly, and perfect, what good would it do you? <laughs> what good, you know, well, you can't just suck it up by osmosis. <laughs> <laughs> so then actually at being with unenlightened beings, you say, this is my irritation, this is my fault-finding mind, this is my comparing mind, this is my you know, fantasizing mind. And so we look at the grasping of, uh, and the, the projecting out perceptions and so that the <coughs> with this just beginning to contemplate you know in, a, in an unsatisfactory experience then where is the where's the responsibility where you know where can one actually access this and, and, and pull it out are you going to pull it out of the world Make the world the right place? Or are you going to pull it out of your heart? Are you going to pull it out of IMS? Make IMS the perfect place? Or are you going to pull it out of your heart? Or this retreat, this kind of totally perfect, flawless retreat? Or are you going to pull it out of your heart? 
Now this is uh, so the, the the teaching of the Dhamma is just recognizing that the suffering that is needless that we can pull out is the suffering that occurs through a particular activity that we undertake helplessly, you know, we don't do it deliberately, we kind of compulsively undertake it through through not seeing, through seeing things wrongly, through avijja, through really not seeing the nature of reality. We undertake, we get into this compulsive habit. So the different kinds of suffering, like um, you know, suffering of diseases and whatever. Well, you, you know, doctors you deal with doctors deal with that suffering of aging and death. Nobody can do anything about that. Um, it's going to happen. Suffering of physical pain. You know, you go, you do what you can with it, but. Really, the, the the suffering that the Buddha talks about is the suffering needlessly created, the conditioned suffering, the suffering of, of grasping and clutching, that you can do something about. And the beauty of it is, if you if you deal with that one, the other two, no longer affect you. If you're not clinging to a particular quality of feeling, or a particular state of being then old age sickness death is just just a change <laughs> yeah. so the, the buddhas die but he wasn't and the buddha wasn't suffering when he died it's just things breaking up things changing so this is why it is it is such a powerful and significant point that suffering that comes through Clinging, attaching, holding on. In other words, upadana, and another way this is another word that is used sometimes. Upadana is feeding on, and because we don't really know fully in ourselves what that's about, what what clinging is, you don't we don't realize it, we don't recognize it because it's so built in that. Uh, um, to use a, a number of ways of looking at it. What do we feed on? What do we depend on? What do we take a stand upon? And uh, different uh, ways in which this uh, clinging uh, occurs, and the, the Buddha said there are four primary ways. And the first one, most people will, you know, sooner or later, if they're interested in, in, in practice, spiritual practice, they'll, they'll, they'll recognize this one. This is clinging to sense pleasures. You know, and you can see your mind go crazy over uh, fantasizing food, drink, sex, music, pleasures, and so on. So you know, you can actually experience that, and this is quite good thing to 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 get a, a good eyeball of. It's a good to really understand because once you, I wouldn't get too bothered about it or feel too guilty about it all. I'll start, <coughs> you know, wagging your finger and touch, 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 because it doesn't. Your mind won't obey orders, anyway. So while you're in there thrashing and clinging and clawing, you might as well understand it um, <laughs> and make use of it. 
So actually what occurs in, in clinging to sense, sense pleasures, there's an idea and there's a promise of, of happiness, pleasure. And then, you can, then something in you is a kind of energy, a powerful pull and energy. And then you can feel your mind actually fondle that, that image or that object. Pick it up, fondle it in your mind's, in your mind's eye. Think, oh, it could be like this, it could be like that. One of those, and two of those would be good. So there's this kind of feverish activity. And, and that object actually saturates your consciousness. For that moment, you know, that's the universe. Is a banana or, you know, something like that. You can actually see that that comes up very large on the screen of your mind. And, and in these retreats, this is one of the most um, powerful and, and actually quite useful experiences. Uh, a little bit shocking at first, but just to, just to understand, this is what occurs. And at that, and at that moment, you know, when, when there's that fantasy or that object, you really feel, if you had that, you would be just, that would be it. You know, there's that sense of being fulfilled by that. So, um, there's a tremendous sense of, of self and self-fulfillment that goes with that, with that experience. You're feeling a bit dull and sleepy, and you think, oh, just a cup of coffee. That would be it, and then you you know you get that that impression of yourself suddenly being in a, in a better state, or getting away from something. So you can cling to thi- uh, things. Uh, is also about clinging with aversion. If you just get rid of that thing, then you'd be happy. That fidgety person, you just shot them dead, <laughs> and you'd be happy. <laughs> irritating cough when you have this one of these coughs that go on frustration so most people begin to recognize you know you've got to let go of some of this stuff the other kind of uh, attachment but you can't do it you can sort of check it and suppress it and push it out of your mind you can push that object out of your mind, but it's, it, you don't you don't actually release yourself from it. It's just like pushing the thing away, and and there's holding on to something else. That's the primary way of of, of stopping that, so that you get some kind of fantasy and you just push it away and put your mind onto something else. So you you use this system of replacement, which kind of so you're you're back on track, as it were, but you haven't actually released. Because you haven't seen through the nature of that that clinging experience, you haven't understood it. You haven't really seen through it. What it really is, it still has power. One still unconsciously believes in it. Second kind of uh, clinging or attachment is uh, or feeding is uh, feeding on. Um, What's called the Sila Pata Paramasa, which means various um, systems, rules, 
principles, structures, techniques, anything that's uh, a sort of a, of a systematic nature. So, in, of course, in, in uh, you know, this can be the idea that using some particular system or attach or holding it will get you somewhere. So this is where people get dogmatic, don't they? They get um, people get dogmatically into scriptures. This is the way, you know, or or, or or techniques of practice. And there's a whole range of these now available in the West. So it's you can really go quite crazy, you know, Sufism on Monday, and then <laughs> you go through the whole thing. All sorts of stuff happening, and every one of them is right. And you think, well, which, you know, so you, you what do you do? <laughs> you know? And there's a kind of fervor that can be built up around these things. So have, having something that you can believe in like that, you get that same kind of quality that you get with a sense object. As that thing dominates your attention, becomes, you know, something that supports you and holds you. And if you're deprived from it, you feel uncertain and unsteady. So you're fed by it. And you feel, you feel confident and you feel secure because of it. Just as with a sense object, you feel happy when you're with a pleasant sense object. When you're with a secure system, you feel secure. This is why this, this, is why this, occur, this occurs to us. This isn't just like, you know, one some, some particular strange neurosis. This is standard. You know, this is you know, this is all across the board. This is everybody. <laughs> you know? And you may not have a meditation system that you're you're attached to. You've probably got little kind of procedural things and and ways of doing things. Your way of doing things, where you arrange a room, the way you like to set the table, you know, for dinner. Way you, know, you know, you've got your way doing things. So much so that sometimes when you, you come into these retreat situations, you know, you still want to kind of operate the way you do things and there's a real quite a quite a clash there over change of times of day. You know, it's quite a psychologically it's quite unsettling to be with a different system. So it perhaps takes a little but it takes a little more um, awareness, a little more um, understanding, a little more freedom to actually recognize that for what it is. You see that you, you can't, to something that you're dependent on, there's no way that, that attaching to it is going to get you free. You know, something you're clinging to, clinging to it harder is not going to get you free. Because it's the very antithesis of it. So one of the uh, very uh, revealing things that the Buddha would say, you know, was that even these teachings I give you don't cling to them. It's the the third kind of clinging is called clinging to views, and this is uh, views, opinions. Um, uh, insights, in, even wise views and insights that one has had, 
who cling to them because cling to them you get one, an insight and then what happens you know it maybe it's quite true and valid and then oh, I got that now I know I know I am one who knows <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you start to get obnoxious about it <laughs> and uh, you know so the uh, unfortunately the spiritual arena is um, people with as people who, who <laughs> this is a very common thing that is true you know that was a valid insight it's true it was a valid insight but what occurred taking a stand upon it and then you begin to see with these kind of things what becomes clearer that underneath all this stuff what's really happening is this sense of self is crystallizing around that around a sense object, I will be, you know, happy, brighter, fuller, you know, and then around some system I will be, you know, on course, secure, steady, certain, going the right way, that's what I will be, that feeling, and then around views, you know, I am this way, I am understanding, and so, um, that kind of thing, so, and you get where you get into kind of preaching attitudes, people who are stuck on views, and uh, you know, so so always have to shove it down somebody else's throat, as it were. And so you even get certain religious persuasions where the whole idea is to go around and, and shove shove ideas down other people's throats, whether you like it or not, knock on people's doors little books and things and <laughs> I want you to know, you know. <laughs> why do you want me to know what's it to you is it for your own good <laughs> you know? and think what actually is happening here and you realize the person is getting high on being right and the only way they can be right and keep doing that is to be in a situation where of convincing somebody else so you get somebody who's a zealot, you can't have a zealot who's, who's happy to sit quietly on his or her own. You know, you've got to go out and tell somebody else about it. You think, why is that? You know, is that freedom? Because actually the sense of being right can only be established in the presence of something that's wrong. So you can say, I'm better than that, I'm wiser than that, I know you don't. And so you know, the right needs a wrong to support it. Rightness is dependent upon wrongness. So when you get... Uh, a friend of mine used to have this way of dealing with these people like that. They'd come up and he'd say, oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> Just like, so, you know, so what? True enough, you know. You know it was no... Yeah, it was no big thing. So you're actually taking away the, the, the emotional kick out of that. The Buddha likened his teachings to a raft. So he um, says that when you cross, you use the raft to get across the river 
and then you don't carry the raft around on your head when you cross the, the stream. You leave it there and you keep walking. This thing. Um, this, uh, so he said, even my teachings are really there just as a, a bridgehead. Don't cling to them. Don't don't make a self out of them. Don't feed yourself upon them. Don't <coughs> float yourself upon them. How much you know, even if you do know, it's just it's obvious. It's just the way it is. There's no personal attainment in this. There's no inflation of ego around this experience. If there is, you got you got it wrong. So you just can you know look at this, particularly in the kind of the spiritual realm. You you know. People seem to get massively inflated egos around liberation <laughs> from ego, <laughs> and they need to convince everybody else about it. And uh, in this teaching on the raft, the, Bu- uh, the Buddha said, "I do not see, I do not see any view, a single view. I see not a single view." which, if you hold to it, will not cause sorrow, pain, lamentation, grief and despair. There's not one view that, if you hold to it, will not bring you to suffering. That's a pretty kind of straight thing. And you contemplate, why is that? Even when when the view is correct and true. Because this is the... um, the bit that that, his, that that very few beings will see, and the fourth kind of, of clinging is clinging to the sense of self, and that's what all these others are really. That's what's in the background of all these others, and which we sometimes miss. So we get kind of confused at clinging to sense pleasure. You think, oh, I shouldn't cling to sense pleasure. Well, I'm not really clinging. I'm just kind of playing with it for a while. <laughs> Sort of, <laughs> you know. You, so you get. Oh, I think we've got a thing about bananas. Well, maybe, uh, you know. Oh, so you get, obj- you know, you get fascinated by the object, and then sort of either pretend you're not clinging, or feel guilty about it, or you know, you, in other words, one, one is f- not r- focused on the object. Yeah. Or you get caught into the, the system, and then you, you either think you're not clinging to it, or, or um. You know, you get get a certain sense of doubt about it. But really, these, in a way, these things are okay. If, if you if you use them, it's all right. You know, to have a cling. But but you have to because you can't get through it just by by shoving it away. <coughs> it, it doesn't work like that. You can suppress it. But what will happen is you just cling to the clinging habit and sticks onto something else. You, you know, you push away clinging to, to food, then you cling to the idea of being pure. You know, or, or so you, the mind just kind of swings to another base. And um, the, 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 so the actual energy of clinging is not understood. So when you're clinging, really contemplate it. The, and who, who, in that scenario, what, who or what will be improved? What is there to be, that will be improved by feeding upon that? What will be maintained? What will be supported by that thing? <coughs> See what it is. 
that will be supported and maintained by clinging to it. Don't don't try to not cling. Just try to understand that the the dynamic of it. And then you realize there isn't what is it that will be nourished or supported or improved by that? It's just a, a fantasy. It don't, because we've been doing this for long enough, clinging to, and then you know, we're still not actually satisfied. So we begin to look into the the fantasy of self, projection, notion, idea. As we chant every day, the uh, here uh, blithely in the morning. It seems so deceptively simple. Yeah. All these uh, form is not self, form is impermanent, feeling is not self, feeling is impermanent, um, perception is impermanent, perception is not self, karma formations, and consciousness. All conditions are impermanent, there is no self in any of them. It's, you know, this is sort of like just there as, a, as to remind one, to then to measure out in a day. Because these, these khandhas, these are called the five khandhas, rupa, form, vedana, feeling, sanya, perception, sankara, karma formations, and vijnana, or discriminative or sense consciousness. And these are called the upadana khandha, these are the clinging aggregates. These are the aggregates of clinging. They, they cling and they're clung to and they cling to each other. They're just sticky all the way through. <laughs> so, and, and around this is what... It, so this is a, a, a breakdown of what is experienced in that in self. Whenever that self-experience arises, it's bound up with these. So if we understand these, what they are as not self, as something that cannot be clung to, then the, the trap dissolves. And in a practice of meditation, a practice of Dhamma, is that which can steer you through and actually give you a readout and help you to focus on form and on feeling and on perception and on karma formations and on consciousness. Help you to focus on it and see and, and know for yourself what is form. Now normally these these are all clumped together in ordinary life. So you see something, you see a form, and with that form is conjoined a perception, a recognition. Oh, that's Susan, you know. Right. So that happens almost immediately. And maybe then a mental feeling, you know, comes up because you like her. So oh pleasant feeling. Yeah. So you get that's that happens almost instantaneously. Those things just stick together, and then some kind of karma formation, which may be your sense of you know, may it be a positive thing, like your eagerness to help her or you wanting to be with her, or it may be something negative, your anxiety or feeling ashamed of yourself because you you weren't nice to her yesterday, whatever. These these are the karma formations that come up, and this so. And this occurs, this conditions, or this then becomes the, the, the topic for, for the consciousness, for the mind to then rest upon 
and activate itself around. This all happens blank, you know, in in, in just a, a second or two. Sometimes it can you can be slowed down a little bit. Yeah. But in, so when you and when you develop sati mindfulness and samadhi, you're you're actually slowing down that process, and you're taking on forms that actually have very little. Um, immediate impact, you know, you don't have a big thing about breathing. It's hard to get one after a while. <laughs> All kinds of stuff happening around that, but it's sort of karmically pretty, pretty small beer compared with other things. And you have a chance to experience it as uh, just a form, just an object. Yeah, and then, then the perception arises. So the perception arises on. This is my breath. This is happening in my body. Yeah, that's that's the kind of perception. That's the way we recognise it. And then qualities of feeling, pleasant, painful, neutral feelings. And as when you be, as you focus more steadily upon it, you can see those things are actually separate, separate things. Because they all they change, and they don't change together at the same time. The form of the breath is is flowing and changing, but your perception of it may may actually be quite steady. You still there's still that retained image or idea or notion there. So the the the, the candas actually, you know, can operate separately. They they kind of interweave but they're not always going at the same pace and you can see this also in the case of people you know you see a, a particular human form and you've got a perception of Susan you know which is which is a long-lasting thing and then you find out oh today she's not like that yeah you see you get these kind of memory labels which are perceptions you get perceptions of people which can stay there and on, say on a retreat, and this is something you, that you may well be familiar with, how when you're with a group of people you're not talking, you get a particular perception of the other people. You know, they're like this or like that. And that, that's quite clearly registered, registered for you. And the end of the retreat you say something to them, and they're not like that. <laughs> and that perception is boom, falls down and, oh... Where's that gone? You know, that one's been running you know, for eight days solid. <laughs> and yet, then it's gone. Yeah. So actually perceptions are, 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 can be very enduring. So even with people who have died or you haven't seen for 20 years, so you can bring them up in your memory and they're just, they're just there. Or maybe you haven't seen somebody for ten years. You remember how they were ten years ago, and that 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 weekend you spent somewhere together, and there it is, frozen in time. And you can bring it out, and you probably do in a retreat. You know, you get these things come up, and you're reliving it again and again and again, and it's established. And that person, you know, the way they look and so on, is there. 
they died five years ago, but they're still there. So you can, your perception can outlive a form and replace it. But what is it? What is a form? There you say, like a form, you see somebody, you see a form of a human body. You say, oh, that's, that's so-and-so. But really, that form is of the nature to change, isn't it? And bodies change comparatively slowly, but they're changing all the time. Shifting all the time, because, because of the very nature of form. Form implies a certain plasticity. It has been formed. It has been moulded because it's, you know, that which is formed is is supple and plastic. It, it cannot possibly retain that form. It must shift and change and move. What form is the flame of a candle, for example? You know, it's it's continually wavering, isn't it? You can't say it's got any particular form, but you can't say it has no form either. Form is of the nature, its very essence is impermanence. And if you wanted to make a statement about form that would always be true, the only thing you could say was, it's impermanent. (laughs) You couldn't say it's big or small. Because that would mean, in some cases it's big, in some cases it's small. I'm quite big compared with an ant, but small compared to putting me beside an elephant. But, so the only true statement is really that it is impermanent. And yet that's the, that's the statement that we rarely make, because the system is geared to assumptions. And then the disappointment, because that form changed. But that's his, that's his, actually that's its essence. Perception is impermanent. So even when you, you know someone, you, you're continually you know, adding slightly new pieces of data to that perceptual image. It's, it's, so you're, it's continually being recreated and remolded in your mind. It's of that nature. And when you experience something like the breath, in medit- so using that as a meditation topic, you, uh, as we've discovered, you know, listening into some of these interviews, you realize that breath is a very different thing from person to person, and from day to day, from hour to hour. You can't really, something as simple and as obvious as that, and as seemingly featureless, you try and really you know, pin it down to having a, pers- a persistent, a per- to recognize it in a, per- in a persistent way. And it, it, it doesn't, won't, you won't do that. You can say it's impermanent, changing. Feeling changing. But as we see that something that is uh, pleasant is only pleasant for as long as there's still the, the, uh, an impression of the unpleasant to measure it against. 
the karma formations that uh, our psychological and emotional habits are volatile, aren't they? They're, they're, they're things of the nature to move. They're, they're, the, they're, they're, you know, they're, sometimes they are you know, skillful or unskillful, but they're lively. Not one of them stands still. They're, they're, they're volatile things. They're shifting and changing. Consciousness, the, which is the, the ability or that, that activity that sets up a field, a sense field, visual field, auditory field, mind field, and then begins to detect forms within it. It's this discriminative experience. See if you can retain, even just with, with, just with having your eyes open, and just have um, a continual visual field with no movement in it. You try and do that. The eye restlessly fidgets around for something to draw a line around. You, know? you can feel it pulling. So if you don't, the, this consciousness is this continual activity to to pick out and define, discriminate. Then in your, in your own mind, when there's nothing to do, you say, okay, have a break now, you know, do let your mind completely relax. <laughs> don't, don't hold on to any object there. <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> it comes a, a little thought comes up, doesn't it? <laughs> no, I just mean, just relax. Relax. Relax what? The thought, that was a thought, wasn't it? Yeah? So what am I supposed to do with it? Relax, just stop the thinking. Oh, I see, stop thinking. Stop thinking. Yeah. How do I do that? You know, another thought comes up. You know, so <laughs> the mind won't actually stop creating any objects, will it? That's, that's, that's the mind consciousness. So, so it just keeps doing that. How difficult it is to, to check that. Yeah, but then, but the this can seem like quite quite um, you know dreadful, but to recognise that all these these things that are created are also that they are insubstantial. You know, they, they are. They, we we make a lot out of them. But in themselves, they are—they they only gain substance by being stuck together. So, if you see a form just purely as a form, so like looking at an object, and then just seeing there's the object, and then there's your idea of that object, and then the object itself, the form itself, is just that. It has no particular meaning or significance. It's not young, old, black, white. It's just that. You know, you, and form is empty. It's only made something out of by another, by the other activities of liking, of remembering, of, sign, of signifying something, of being attracted to it, of feeling a thing about it. It's only given substance by that that coming together of a. Of, the, of all the aggregates. So in, in, in practice of meditation you can separate these. 
you can see, you can separate these, these, these aggregates. And you can see them as in themselves, actually just like purely mirage-like. And this is partly the, the, the balance occurs through, through, through seeing, through what's called the panya or wisdom, this onlooking seeing. But also, in order to be able to, to see things clearly, the mind, the heart, has to be satisfied enough to not need. And this is where the samadhi is so, is so important, such an important um, support for liberation. Samadhi is not liberation, but it is the support for it, because in a way it it holds your emotional and sensual needs into it. So you have the sense of pleasantness and calmness. You feel secure. You feel pleasant. You feel warm. You feel okay. So that neediness is momentarily is assuaged. So that then there isn't that continual projecting of need onto forms and objects. So that one actually, it's rather like a, uh, someone who's, who's just had a good meal. You know, they're, 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 they're happy to let go of a few things. You know, if you're warm and, and contented and well fed, then you can let go of it. just a few things desperate and starving and hungry, you don't let go, you hold on. So this kind of satisfying the mind um, is essential for the ability to, to relinquish, to let go. That's how samadhi works. But the important thing is to go to the, to the mood, the emotional mood, the feeling mood, to use your meditation just to, to bring around those moods you like those those moods of stability, calm, ease, pleasantness. So to go to the mind rather than to to go to the object or the system. So in developing something like Anapanasati, the idea is 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 not to be able to you know get a a, a firm continual image of the breath per se the aim of it is to find a place where you can settle and focus on that settling focus on the calming fill yourself with the, the, the settling and calming effect till the object disappears it's no longer a concern and you're, you're settled and that's the point and then, what, what then from that settled place you can begin to contemplate yeah, this particular feeling, this particular perception, and then that that in one which wants to then feed upon that kind of feeding upon the, the the pleasant experience one's having that's occurring, making more of it, thinking one has got something, feeling you've attained something, feeling you're about to get something. These <laughs> these kind of patterns of expectation, which are all contributions to the net experience of, of selfhood. And it's never satisfied. It's never at rest. But without that, 
there, one, there is a rest. There is rest with feeling. Feeling is just this. There is rest with, with, with mental activities. It's always the, the key to it is always the, the creating a self who has this or should have it or shouldn't have it. Will have it or did have it. <laughs> or shouldn't have it or wouldn't have it or whatever. You know, any kind of permutation in those things. This is where the, the suffering occurs. When actually things are as they are. Now, not to get you know ideological about it, as I'm saying, the the you know the the value of it is to to yeah okay cling you know please cling, uh, but really to to use that experience because you know, this is a very common experience for us. See what's it made up of, what supports that, where does it go to, and what's the net result of that? As the the problem with this is is that we don't see. Clinging is suffering. Then clinging to that suffering, but clinging to that's all right. You know? Or clinging, clinging to this, you know, having this is, is, not, is, is wrong, but clinging to not having it is good. Clinging to the absence of something. I like it when my mind isn't thinking. <coughs> Thinking's wrong. Not thinking is right. There's clinging again, isn't it? Because we're making some self I'm the sort of person I, my, my, you know, I don't have to think. I can stop thinking. But if you said that to your boss at work, you get the sack. And <laughs> 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 you do that in the meditation retreat. Oh, very good. You know, you stop thinking. Well, wonderful. You know, you really attained something. But you went to work and said, you know, you computer program and said, I, I stopped thinking. <laughs> Not. Not desirable. <laughs> so thinking's okay. All these things are okay, but it's it's the self creation around it. So work around those things. One of the most uh, beautiful descriptions of the of the enlightened one, the arahant. Uh, I came across because they can, you can see these in very kind of refined and rather abstruse terms, you know, they've got these special knowledges and higher powers and all that. But one of the, I found one of the most, personally one of the most beautiful ones is where the, the, is described as someone of nothing, who has nothing, and holds, there's nothing that they have that they declare as belonging to them, there's nothing that they, they declare as not belonging to them. They hold on to nothing and they reject nothing. You know, so that, you know, just contemplate in your own life just where those energies occur, the, the holding and the pushing away. You know, see if you can soften around that. Take a chance. The, the intimate experience that you're having. And it's, it's, it's really, this is a, 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 an enlightening a teaching of a Buddha uh, a rare one, a very, very rare one. And it is a very special and rare thing to do. But it's worth it, having 
in this retreat time, just making that the practice. So I'll offer this for your reflection. of the Dhamma. The solitary Buddha is my noble Lord. The Sangha is my supreme support. Through the supreme power of all these, may darkness and delusion be dispelled. 